he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode, number 63, of Bolotified, the one and only podcast about event entertainment and engagement. I'm Anthony Bolotin. I'm here, as I am every week, with the one and only Bolotophile, my very favorite, Alex Apostolidis. Your very favorite. Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Recovering. Yeah, we had a we had a busy weekend, and I'm sure yours was even busier. Uh, we had a little shower here at the house for, I think we told you all about this last week mm-hmm. for our uh, Sam and Joy. And all right, you go first, Alex. Well, it was it was a lot of fun, and the cake that you had was amazingly beautiful. It was so adorable. Shout Almost out. makes me want to have another baby. <laughs> uh, not for the cake. Uh, a shout out to Violet Cake Company right here in San Diego in Point Loma. Violet Cake Company and Maria Stanley, the owner, for the delicious cookies and cream. I think a seven layer cake, it looked like. Um, beautifully decorated with clouds and an elephant with a balloon. Uh, so thank you for that. But I have to say, for as beautiful as that cake was, the spread that you put out was unbelievable. Thank you. That's my happy Alex, place. Alex, I had no idea. I mean, we should know because, you know, your, your family, you've told us many times, <laughs> your family owned a Chinese restaurant, your Greek family owned a Chinese restaurant growing up, and, you know, you have... You cook all the time and Christmas dinner is your absolute favorite dinner of the year. You likely spend weeks on that dinner alone. Yep. But I have never tasted a morsel of anything that you've ever baked or cooked. Well, my cookies you have, the the kulodaika you have. Your cookies, correct. I stand corrected, which were (laughs) delicious, not only delicious, but they lasted a really long time. They do, they last forever. Um, But what you put out on Saturday was bar none. It was caterer, restaurant quality, bar none. Top top tier, the way that you laid it out, the presentation uh, and the deliciousness that ensued. Well, you did get two of my specialties, I will say. The spanakopita and the bruschetta are the two things that, and number one, my daughter loves those things, so we make them. Um, so those are two of my kind of, my specialties. That spanakopita was so flaky. It was so delicious. The butter. Well, hey. Lots of butter. It's a pound of butter pretty much in that. Actually, I don't a little care. Bit more. <laughs> a pound, yeah. 
But I will say I make it healthier than my mom because my mom used to make it a little different. She made it a little more like a custard. So there were a dozen eggs. I only used three. So it's yeah, a little bit healthier. more consistency. There's a, a more texture when you don't mm -hmm. use so much. Yeah, it was so delicious. Uh, so and it was so, so, so beautiful when Joy walked into the house. Now, there were only about a dozen of us, but Joy walked in and her mother is visiting from uh, from from Beirut. Her mother Nadine, uh, who is so, oh my God, she's adorable. I mean, she's fabulous, right? Yes. It's, there's the 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 apple did not fall far from the tree. Not at all. The woman who named her child Joy is obviously full of joy, and so is the child she named Joy. And what a lucky son Kai is going to be to have that lineage. Um, mm. And and Sam too. He's a oh, delight yeah. and very pretty. And. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you've adopted that phrase. Yeah, I have to now. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're just so delightful. And we we had the most delightful time playing games and uh, watching her open her gifts and eat delicious foods and drinking. And the decorations by D'Angelo. I got to say, oh my God, it was so cute and adorable. I walked in and I looked, as soon as I looked at the house, I went, of course, I would expect nothing else. I mean, it was so beautifully put together and everything was in sync and matched and worked together and adorable. And so, uh, you know, their theme was clouds and elephants. That's what, that's how they're painting uh, little Kai's room. So uh, that became the theme and D'Angelo found uh, a cloud making kit and uh, whipped up some clouds and put them in our family room and uh you know he's got a way he oh, just yeah. he has a way like I went before I met him uh I had a lot of stuff and I tend to be really symmetrical <laughs> and he came in and he just like moved things around and created little vignettes everywhere you know and made it look so much less sterile it feels like a home yeah. you know just just with the knickknacks. Although no, I do feel like we might have a tad too many knickknacks, but cause you know- They tell oh. a story, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, everything seems to, everything yeah. has meaning, yes. Yeah. So it's also very, by the way, there's something going on in the neighborhood today. Uh, first of all, AT and not AT&T, but SDG&E has sent out tree cutters today and they're taking down my palms at the back of my property, which I'm so sad about. I'm okay. losing two of them uh, today, the tallest ones. Uh, so they're grinding those down. And I've been very, very, both of us have been on them because you know I planted that succulent garden there. And I just don't want any of the succulent branches to break, you know, because they're, there's so much, when, when the succulents get really big, especially the uh, aeonium, which is what I've got most of, they, they become so heavy that they can break from the rest of the, you know, the tree. And so I'm just, <laughs> it's a look, what can I say? Well, I'm you worked hard on it. Yeah. yeah, of course, you worked hard on it. And as a person with the brownest thumb in the entire world, I really appreciate the work you put into it. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's just fun to watch it grow. And I've had a few issues with uh, some of it. Um, but 
I just don't, I just don't want to see it broken. I don't want to see my car broken. So hey, we get protective over our work, right? Yes. So as yes. we should be, they become things like that become very personal. Absolutely. They're labors of love. And I look at that backyard every day, right? So I'm going to see it every day. So I know it'll bug the crap out of me. I'll be looking right where that missing, you know, piece was. So I'm, I'm going to go back there when we're finished to make sure that everything is copacetic. They're leaving now. But in addition to that, it's raining, which again, it rarely does here. Uh, and in addition to that, there are easily four or five police units on my block right now. So something's going on somewhere. So we're going to have to get in touch with uh, Catherine, our neighbor, because she is the arbiter of all news. And she has <laughs> She's the, the, the Kravitz, Mrs. Kravitz of the she, neighborhood. Yeah, she'll find out. Uh, and we normally have like a, a patrol. Uh, uh, I don't know what they call. I should know what they call them. But we have time with our our local unit and, you know, we'll they'll discuss things with us and and fill us in on certain things that are happening in the neighborhood. So we do have that communication in place. Uh, yeah, it's great. And you know, there is an app here in San Diego. When you have trouble, it's the San Diego app, San Diego City app. You, I think it's, maybe it's even called the Get It Done app. It is. Hmm, I can't seem to find it. Uh, but you use this app uh, for when you need the city to respond to something like a pothole or a car that's been parked in front of your house for three weeks with expired plates or um, yeah, it's called the get it done app. Get it done. San Diego. Do you have this on your phone? I don't, I didn't know about it. Oh, you should get it. I'm sure. Cause then you can log, you can lodge any issue that you have right there. And the, it gives the, the city an opportunity to know what's going on. It's brilliant, really. Uh, now, they haven't yet responded to the car that's been parked in front of my house more than once uh, with the expired plates, but I'm sure they will someday. And at least I know they know. At least they know, right. They right. know. Right. And I, I'm not one of those neighbors. I promise you that. I love my neighbors. But um, it does get a little irritating when somebody leaves their car in front of your house uh, for what has been months. And, you know, like at some point you have to realize you're, you really are inconveniencing people when you do that. You might not think you are. And the street does belong to everyone, but it's not your house. And, you know, it's not nice. And especially then when you see that the tag isn't brought up to date. And yeah, it just gets a little That's irritating. a cause for concern. Yeah, like what's going on with that car yeah. and what is it being used for? And like, why is it? Do they have insurance? You know, what if they get like all these things? Mm -hmm. I was never, I, I think I've just turned into my father. I mean, I've been my father for a long time, but I are think you having true. old man get off my lawn moments? Definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, and, I, and in that spirit, <laughs> We want to talk a little bit about proposals. Today. Oh, yay. Yay. Because, and that's a good thing because that means that we're, we are, we're in the crux of proposal time. There are a lot of requests coming at us and, uh, and that is, it's, it's taxing, it's stressful. 
but ultimately it's a good sign and it means that we will hopefully be coming back into regular business soon uh but the rules the rules are kind of out the window and it's not that um you take on the request to do a proposal with the notion that you're going to make it as hard as possible on your client um but it is a give and take situation and we do exist in an industry that doesn't pay for the time and effort it takes to put a proposal together. Uh, so that's just, that's not the paradigm in which we exist. So it's good to have some protocols and some understanding of what's, what's good etiquette in preparing proposals. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that and I'm gonna hand it off to you, Miss A. <laughs> Let's start from kind of the top down, from the ideal situation, work our way down. I mean, in, you've been doing this a long time, you know, yeah. in the scheme of things, even though I've been with you a long time, I'm, you know, I still am a newbie, I guess, in the scheme of things. What you, what's the ideal proposal? What would you say is the perfect scenario for a proposal? I would say, first of all, in some way, the proposal indicates to the client that you've heard everything that they've said to you or they've written to you in an RFP, that it addresses every single point, whether it's reiteration of those points or you're elaborating on them. It's just necessary to have them because the message that you're sending back immediately without including that is oh, they missed something, or did they get it all? That's what the client will think. There's, there's still a question in their mind that you heard them or that you included, if the, if the relationship is really good and the communication is really good, that you included everything you heard. And so they'll be concerned about pricing and you know how this all impacts their budget and their event. And so, yes, it's great to, first of all, include all of the information that's been given to you. So you're showing that you've, you've heard it. And then, uh, you know, it differs from there. If you're doing decor, it's about outlining the look and the feel with description and pictures. And the pictures, if they're not exactly what the client is going to see, then some indication that they are representative pictures mm -hmm. needs to be included in the proposal again. So you're not stating something or leading the, the, the client down the wrong path or misrepresenting. Uh, so that's key. If uh, you're working as we do uh, on the service end, if you're in catering, if you're in florals, if you're in... Uh, talent, uh, if you're in staffing, if you're in transportation, anything that requires either the rental or the purchase or the, uh, the holding of something or someone else, in order to make that proposal real, come to life, make it happen, as well as to capture all of the necessary costs that's that that's a much bigger that's a much bigger um uh effort but it's important because again 
when you're on the side of the vendor and you do have to, as a vendor, rely on, say, another vendor or, as we do, talent, uh, we can't make the commitments in a proposal without contacting them first and ensuring that we have them, as we say, on hold. So again, what I'm saying here is that the, in the best case scenario, a proposal is proposing items that are in fact available and at the client's initial discretion, you don't give them too much time, at, at their disposal. If they want this package of decor, if they want this talent, if they want this band, if they want this transportation, then they can have it because all of the costs and all of the layers involved in making that happen are, in, are, are already aligned which is the best way to propose because then you are giving the client something that's tangible. You're not just giving them a bunch of what ifs. Which so brings, which yes, brings, I'm sorry, which brings this question then, when do you feel it's appropriate? And cause we do have to do this sometimes to shoot out a proposal where everything is based on availability, which means we don't have the talent on hold, but this is who we would like to see potentially for your event. So this is really about, I think, listening to the client and getting the cues uh, on the intake or in the email. First of all, I would say you have to ask people if they don't outright tell you when they need the information, you should ask. Uh, many of us just determine that we have to get it done immediately. And so we put undue stress on ourselves. On the other hand, by not by not establishing that you might be late, you might put it off and you might miss the mark. Or what tends to happen, I think for many people is they'll get another email or call from the client asking for the information because the client is thinking I should have that by now and it, no work has been done on it. So then that's when the stress begins. So first of all, you start there, but if you don't have enough time if you're asked for something immediately or overnight, or if you're hearing that your client or the person who's called you is proposing these events, doesn't quite have the business, but is one of two or three other companies vying for the event, then those are cases when you can give them ideas and you can do so with the proper links and such that they can see that and, and a range of pricing without anything being on hold. And that's expressed again in the body of the proposal. So it's clear uh, as well as during the intake. So you're setting the expectation as well. And that's important because it's, it's impossible to line all those things up sometimes in the time frame that you're given to turn something around. It really is impossible. We, especially us and those who are in businesses like us, depend on people with their own schedules and their own free will to get back to us in a timely manner. And sometimes, I mean, you know, we've, we've established protocols, so I don't think we have this issue too much, but on occasion, we have to call two or three times or email 
more than one or two times to get an answer back from someone. And that is not because the person on the other end is not caring or doesn't want it. It's busy. People are busy and things are happening at a frantic pace. And we have to let go of this. I want you to call me right back because it's just not going to happen. It's when not everybody, either. It isn't. And you know, it's not just about the telephone and the computer anymore. It's about TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and email. And I mean, where are people getting their messages? And so it's much harder to break through and to get responses quickly. Nobody's waiting by the phone. And so it's okay to say to a client when there's not any time or when there's not a definitive request. In other words, we, we'd like you to throw some ideas. This is the group, this is what we're vying for. Just give us your best ideas, that's okay to give them ideas, give them range pricing, put based on availability on your proposal and make sure that's understood that nothing's on hold because you're wetting the appetite, if you will. And that's when it's okay not to get all your ducks in a row before presenting. So I recently had a, a request and I'd like to get your take on this. And they emailed me at noon and they wanted a proposal by two. And it wasn't something as simple as a trio or a quartet or a magician. It was things that I had never even heard of before. By the time I saw the email, because I was on a conference call, I had an, a little less than an hour and a half. What's your take on how to handle that? Oh, my gosh. Well, the, the business... <laughs> That's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, so it, uh, I'd have to ask you questions to begin with. A new client or somebody that- No established, an, a new person within this particular DMC. Okay, so we've- But outlined established DMC, DMC, but established yeah. DMC. Um, this is what I would say. So this is the first time you're hearing from this person. Mm -hmm. This is what I would do. I would say- you give them whatever you can in that amount of time with um, a kind explanation that it really does require more time to give you the things that you need, um, that you hope this will satisfy what, you know, her needs for right now, whatever it is you can respond on without putting off everything else. I mean, if you're cluttered and there are a lot of things going on, then I would try to negotiate something else. I think I would, that's how I'm, I would start. Either negotiate it another time or do what you can with the explanation that it really wasn't enough time and then ask for more time. And, and that would be your first, I think your first line of, um, offenses, and I'm not going to say defense, offense, is to ask for when they, is this a, is this a hard deadline? Is 2 p.m. a hard deadline? Because I'm just seeing this, and it's going to require more than an hour to get you this information. What is the last, what is your deadline, and what is it you really need 
Do you need these things on hold? Because you know, that's what I would do. Um, and while I would do it over the phone because it will be quicker than writing it in an email. And then I would, when you send whatever it is you're able to send, I would just capture what it is you discussed in the call quickly, just to sort of remind the client why you're sending what you're sending. Uh, I would include that in the proposal so that it's clear and that you've been very clear. And that I think is the bottom line, clarity and communication when you're in these stages with people, because we don't want to offend and we don't want to push them away or make them feel like their needs are not important, but we do want to educate them and let them know, wow, this is a lot. This is what we deal with because likely they're not thinking about what it is we deal with to be as good as we are. So that's, that's what I would do. And, yeah. it, and, and our, you know, I, I had, I, I'm, I'm sort of letting go of the never give anybody a reason not to call you line that I used for so, so, so many years. Uh, I think I'm, I'm, I'm letting that go because at some point when people don't start to respect your time, then you sort of have to let them go. And in as nice a way possible. So if that were to happen again with the same person, then I might put up with it one more time, but then the third time for sure, I would say there's no way I cannot get you this. I'm so sorry. If you have, you know, I'm so sorry, please reach out to us again. And that something. is ultimately what happened. And, you know, I tried to have a conversation. She just couldn't talk, which I get. Um, and so unfortunately, because these were really unique things and, you know, we left it on a, on a happy note and said, you, you know, so that, that was good, but I was curious as to see, because sometimes when you see that, you think, oh my God, 90 minutes, really for, yeah. for this. And, you know, the heart starts to pound and the palms start to sweat. And it's like, I don't want to let business go, but I, I don't right. see a way. Um, but before you, before you move on from there, um, mm -hmm. it's just important for people to understand that we work in a, a, an industry of multiple layers. And um, yes, there are times when our direct clients will call us at the last minute. But there are also times when their direct client will call them at the last minute and that person's direct client will call them. So it is a trickle down effect. And if we get in the habit of shooing people away when they do that, we're not doing ourselves a service as a business because it doesn't always begin with our direct client. There's a trickle effect. And so we always want to give the benefit of the doubt initially. And I think it's important for everybody to understand that. And just look at yourselves. You know, let's have a little bit more uh, compassion for ourselves in the proposal process, not get so freaked out by the request, but instead focus on how, how can I get them what they need in a way that I can get them what they need? and not cut myself off. So let me just see what, you know, be part of the solution, do what you can. And then at some point, if it continues, 
then you make the decision. Mm, this is not worth my time because it's too much stress. I can't work with this client anymore, but at least give that compassion and that uh, breath and freedom to be late a few times, not have all their ducks in a row, because again, doesn't always start with the person who's calling you. Oh yeah. And definitely in this situation, it did not, you know, mm-hmm. um, that, that poor woman was, <laughs> I, I actually, I felt bad for her um, because of what the client wanted, which it, it, the end client, ultimately, it just wasn't realistic. And I actually had professional people that in what we're looking to say, this is not something we can do on site. It's an, it's a safety hazard. We can't do this on site. So, you know, you just, you try, but but that's a good point, Alex. That's a really good point that you just made. It's okay to say to people, we can't do this on site, whether it's a safety reason, a logistical reason, uh, uh, the rules of the venue. You know, there's so many, again, so many variables. But it's actually at the end of the day, if something is not doable, if it's not practical, if it's not realistic, it's better not to try to do it. At the end of the day, if if that's the case and you go along with it and you try to make it happen, you're going to find yourself in a really awful place with a client, likely, possibly legally. So it's just better to be upfront. Now, somebody else might be able to do it right? We always have that doubt in our minds when we say it can't be done, right? There's always that little voice saying, are we 1000% sure? It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. What matters is that client can move on to somebody else. And if they do it great, and if it works out great, and if it doesn't, God bless them, right? If you don't feel you can do it, and you go against that feeling, and you try to make it happen, and it doesn't happen, you're not going to be in a happy place. So it's better to just say, we can't make that happen for you. And, and I would even embrace those words. We can't make that happen for you, which basically can let the client determine whether it's us mm-hmm. or it just can't be done. Or it's the ask. Or it's the ask, right. And, and, it, and it puts no, no uh, judgment on the ask. Right. Which is that can't be done. You know, no, it's we, just we, we can't do it. We we can't make that happen for you. Right, exactly. Right. And there's a fine line there between doing what you can, but also knowing realistically and trusting what you're hearing and trusting your gut. Um, and that's where clarity really yeah. counts. What does Brene Brown say? Clear as kind. Oh, clear as kind. Yes. Clear as kind. And it makes complete sense because, you know, what happens are is people get, they stop communicating or they don't communicate well. And that's what normally leads to problems. So you have to be, and, and we all tend to do this at Pilata because, you know, we'll, we can discuss why another time, but we're really careful about being specific about what we're telling people. And when something is, when something is going to work under very specific circumstances only and are reliant on those circumstances, then it's 
the proposer's responsibility to make sure that the client is aware of all of the variables within that space that need to come together to make it happen. That all has to be clear when you propose it because otherwise there's no indication that you're sharing the fact that this could be an issue and you're not giving the client an opportunity to rectify that, put all those things in place together and take responsibility for it. So it doesn't help anybody by keeping those things out, the, the things that are going to make the idea work, if you will. It does nobody any good to keep those things out of a proposal, even if you've said them over the phone. Writing, writing is key. Right. Writing is key. It is key. Mm -hmm. And then there's no, you know, there's no squabble about understanding and what was there and what isn't. And it's always also really important to re remember that when you have a, a written contract, when you have written documents, then what is verbally spoken has no merit or meaning or relevance. It's all about what's on paper. So if it's not on that paper, it doesn't exist. Anyway, that's a contract. Well, it is, but that does bring to mind another question, whether it's a proposal or a contract, because even in proposals, I know I sometimes put it in the body of the proposal. I reiterate it in the email if I know yes. it's a real important point, because I know there's a probably a better chance than not that when it comes down to that writer box, they're really not going to look at it, even though I make my writer boxes bigger because I want them to see it. I don't want to make it tiny. I don't want to make it something that they can that they can easily miss. And right. then if it's something sticking, I put it in the, you know, in the email. Like just please remember per the proposal, this, this A, B, and C, so that they now see it in two places. And you just brought up the uh, the great point of our writer box. And the writer box uh, that we include in our proposals, and and uh, again, this is a, a feature of a good proposal because it and I failed to say this earlier, but that piece, the writer, what the client remains responsible for is also part of the proposal. It's, it's, it's outlining what they need to do. Uh, and uh, we started putting writer boxes into our proposals, uh, oh, probably 20 years ago now, I wanna say, maybe not that long, but close, because what we were finding was while we would put in the body of the email, what was needed, or sometimes even assume that our well-experienced uh, clients knew what was needed, things would be missed. So we, and we felt also there was, uh, an, it's more equitable because of the layers in, 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 in our industry to line out all of the possible expenses in advance. When you, do, when you don't do that in advance, then you're, you're basically, you're taking money, potentially you're taking money out of your direct client's pocket because somebody is going to have to eat something along the way when it's not initially put in front of the end buyer as a potential cost in most cases. And that should be the default anyway in your proposals that you're including all of that, including your own little rider box and we get, the, we get the term writer from our musician friends who have writers that come with their contracts. 
um, that state, you know, the size stage they need, the production they need, the hospitality they need. Uh, in this case, you're stating what is needed on site that's going to cost your client additional dollars so that they can work that, whether it's a, an estimate or a, or a hard number that they know they can come up with into their proposal. So nobody's eating that money along the way. I want to bring this up too, because I had a really beautiful reminder. I just, we had a new client. Uh, we had two events for him last week. Honestly, one of the, the nicest, some of the nicest people I've ever worked with. I would do anything for these. I mean, I'll do anything for all of our clients. They were brand new and so appreciative and grateful and easy to work with. And for the person I was working with, it was her first time doing something like this. And I think when we are used to doing something over and over again, we take for granted knowledge that we think everybody has. So then I had to ask myself, wait a minute, when you first started working in this office, you didn't know what a 20 amp circuit of dedicated power was. You didn't know. And I had to ask that question. So that, and that's in the writer box. And that question was, you know, posed to me. I'm like, I'm glad it's in there because she wouldn't have known to ask the hotel. And I, you know, was able to explain to her what it meant and put her at ease that when you talk to your AV people at the hotel, they will know what that means. Mm -hmm. And I explained it to her, but had that not been in the writer box, same with well-lighted performance area, they had to call in a little bit more light, but because that was in the writer and that was also stated in the contract, she called me and she goes, I'm a little concerned when you say well-lighted, is this going to be enough lighting? And she showed me pictures. I said, if you can get a little bit more, it'd be better. I think it'll be okay, but a little bit more is going to make it better. Yeah, we put well lit rather than um, give any indication of the number of uh, instruments that should be used because the situation can change, right? Mm -hmm. If they're in uh, an area that happens to be well lit in a venue, then that's fine. You know, it's just about, in some cases, just making sure they can be seen, especially if it's background. You know, it's not always going to be the focal point. So that's a good call. Yeah, it is It, it is interesting. Uh, you know, we do forget that um, people don't know all of this information and, that is, and that's something else to consider moving forward. There are going to be a lot of new people in the industry. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have transitioned out. There'll be new people transitioning in and um, developing those protocols for your proposals. Really good idea to do now because uh, you'll have you'll have people that'll be asking for things that won't work right and in with very little time yeah that's yes. going to happen yeah yes that's going to happen this is a question we we've kind of touched on this briefly but i really want to get your input on this do you feel that there should be a cap on the number of proposals, the number of versions of a particular proposal. Because as we know, sometimes we're asked after, you know, version after version after version. I do. I don't, I think after a while, it feels like uh, usury, you know, it just feels like you're being taken advantage of. And, and you know, it, it's not, it, it, it even goes beyond that because there have been situations when I have done a multitude of proposals for people that I have great relationships with and, hmm? you know, there, when it falls through, it falls through and 
the the idea here is nobody's to blame, right? That's the you walk away, right. you're grateful for the opportunity, and you want to maintain that that perspective. It's important, um, but I do think that it's important to let clients know that. Uh, there is a great amount of investment of time and effort that's put into the proposals. And I do believe that it's appropriate after, I would say two to three at this point, depending on the size and scope, because if it's one really large overarching proposal, then it might be appropriate to say before you do a second one, is this solid business that we're working on? Is this business that you've acquired? Is this event going to happen? Do we have any indication of that? Do we know? Because that would drive your, that should drive your effort moving forward. If it's not an event that you're sure is going to happen, then, uh, I would say, yeah, maybe it's important then to say, you know, if we do this, we're going, we're going to have to charge for our time because you're already, you're kind of put on notice then that there might not be any pay back for all the work, right? So I think it's fair at that point. And then if the business is solidified, um, I think the next question is, do we have a stake in this business? Are we assured a stake? Because then you're putting them on notice that, well, yeah, we'll do it, but now we know we're, we're going to expect, we're going to get something out of it, right? Because at that point, if they say, well, there's really no stake for you, I just need these ideas, we then have the opportunity to say, well, we've sent you a proposal, we're going to move on. So I do think it's important to ask the question. And then I do think at a, a, after you ask the question, if there's a doubt that there is business to be had, it's okay to say, Yes, we'll play, but we would have to charge you for our time and effort. So I don't think that it's something that we should continue to just do. And I, I would say that at least at the start of this, it's something that's worth communicating within an office structure so that everybody is on the same page and so that it's done with the right tone, because that can be off-putting. Um, you want to do it in a way that doesn't offend when you do that. But I, that, yeah, I've but, used this phrase that's been coming to mind lately, and it's it's something in some classes that I'm taking, and and so I try to approach mentally this where I speak truth, others hear only love. So it's all about how you phrase it. You're still speaking the truth and being honest, but you're being kind. Right. Go but honestly, yeah, you don't <laughs> want to waste people's time either. You know, I know I don't want my time wasted. You don't want your time wasted. A client doesn't want their time wasted. So I think if we're all in communication and really paying attention to each other and listening, then it's the best possible outcome. Yes, it can be for sure. And there will be the time when you're doing your best and you're still getting somebody who doesn't quite understand, you know, and so it might be necessary to say, we would love to do this event with you. We, we're so vested. We've put in so much time and effort. But is this a real thing? I mean, it's okay to ask that way, I think. And if somebody is a partner and you've developed a relationship with somebody or if you've got a good 
camaraderie going, they're going to understand that. And if they don't, then I think it's okay to just pull away because at the end of the day, you're likely to get very little out of that relationship. You know, we, um, I know that may sound harsh and scary. And again, I was of the mind that you don't give people a reason not to call you. But at the end of the day, the tides have changed and time is so limited and labor is hard to find. And it's really become about maximizing what energy and resources we have. And part of that is not, as you said earlier, wasting people's time. And that becomes not our client's problem, but our problem because we deal with people, right? And so it's, it's in giving a proposal, we don't want to waste the time of our people either. We don't want to be calling our artists incessantly about something that eventually doesn't happen. And we've done it. Oh, yes. We've been there. Here's the 10th proposal with this artist. Oh, and by the way, can you do this instead of that? Yeah, 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 we can make it happen. And then it falls flat. It never happens, right? So uh, I do. I do think it's important to, to state some, some guidelines. And again, it's just about how you said it state your truth, but do it with kindness uh, and do it in advance. Don't wait to state your truth. You know, when you see it's starting to come up, it's always better to set the expectation in advance than to get upset and put down a wall after the fact, right? Which is what we do mostly. We, get Mostly, so, yes. we try so hard to do the right thing. Absolutely. We, try so hard. we keep, we push ourselves and then we get so frustrated. We put down that wall, but we're really not doing anybody a service there. Yeah. I heard something. Well, I was at the ILEA networking event on mm -hmm. last Thursday and had two female speakers and um, one of them was like, we're going to have her on the podcast. I really liked her a lot. And um talking about intuition and gut and, you know, speaking from a place of honesty and truth, and, you know, and how it relates to the event industry. And she said she was talking to somebody that she had been coaching, a female entrepreneur. And the woman, I guess, called her and said, one of the most empowering moments was when, with love and kindness, with, you know, said no to a client because it wasn't gelling with her core values. It wasn't gelling with what she knew she could provide. She knew she wasn't the right fit for that client. She knew. Mm -hmm. And she said, no. And she said, you know, we get to this point of can't turn away business. And every once in a while, it is in everybody's best interest. You don't want to have to do it, but if it's not in the client's best interest, it's good to let them know that. And she said that was such an empowering moment for her. Yeah, it is. It is good to let them know it. And she did it in the right way. It sounds, mm -hmm. you yes. know, it, it sounded, it came across thoughtful, I'm sure. And very much on the side of the client. In other words, she didn't again say, I can't do that or that can't be done. She uh, explained that she didn't feel she was the right fit. And, uh, and it wasn't the right fit for her. And it wasn't the right fit for her. And, and it, and that's the way to do it. And it does, because then it's not about anything, but the work, the job, mm 
and you're not making excuses nope. and you're being honest. And uh, I do agree that's the best way to go. You let people be free to do what it is they want to do. Free to be you and me. There's the song, a play, something in yeah, that. Yeah, something of that, something like that. <laughs> I forgot what it's My from. friend William was five yeah. years old. Yeah. He wanted a doll. <laughs> I can go on and on. <laughs> I dare you. <laughs> I dare you. So here's just how about one one last thing? Yeah. Uh, acute taking cues. You know, we, yes. we, we do get a little, sometimes we, we get a little caught up in talking and in giving ideas when we're taking an intake. And we want to remember that it's always better, A, to listen and to take notes and jot down because you'll get your clues, not only on the group and the, the person, the client's expectation, but also when they need something, who they are, if you just take a breath, sit back and listen. Um, number one. Number two is you are always best served when you approach with a sense of empathy, because first of all, what we do requires empathy. It's impossible to give people an experience without being empathetic to the you know, things that we go through in life, to share these experiences, to have that sense of shared life experience. You can't do the things that we do because there's no connect, right? right. So it's important to be empathetic. And you are, Alex, as a, um, a default. I mean, you go right to empathy. It's something, it's a, it's a layer that you, that you are very comfortable in displaying. And that's what enables you to clue in to the cues that you're getting when you're on the call or when you're even emailing with a client um, that guides your, guides your action, right? You, it gives you a sense because you're cluing in. You're, you're making an effort to see past what they're saying and what they're writing because that's who you are. And also you've been trained to do that as an actor, right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so you're beaten into submission, right? Right. So you, <laughs> you do that, but that is a, that is a gift that others don't possess quite so easily. It's a gift that needs to be exploited. And it's a gift that people need to really focus on if they're going to do, if they're going to be in this business and they're going to support other people by giving them proposals, by being their vendor, by bringing in services or people into their events. You have to understand what it is they're trying to do, who it is they're trying to appease or entertain, and you have to feel it, you know? You really have to get, get in there and understand what's, what it is that's wanted. We don't always get the words. So the best of us clue in to what's between the words. And it's, you know, I think that happens best mostly. I mean, I'm a big fan of emails because I like to see things in writing. I'm very, very visual. And I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with a client for a proposal. And I could tell when she was talking to me that what she was asking for wasn't really going to work. 
based on, and I was able to, we had a great conversation. I was able to kind of guide her and offer suggestions so that the whole evening wasn't a one note. And once I started talking to her about that and asking her questions, she went, I think you're right. Yeah, that would be boring after a while, wouldn't it? I said, well, our brains are trained to shut off after a while if we're hearing the same thing over and over again. It's, it's, an, it's an actual survival instinct. Mm-hmm. So I think if you want to keep them engaged, you want to switch it up so that your guests are engaged and they don't just start petering out. Mm-hmm. And that worked out really well. That conversation worked out really well. This is a, a budget constraint. So I don't know that any of this is going to work out, but it's certainly not because of what we proposed which is, you know, you can't help budgets or budgets, right? And you, you do right. your best. And then sometimes you just, there's no way given the, the particulars and the details that you can give them what they want for a price they want. It's not for without trying, but sometimes it just is impossible. Yeah. It's becoming more and more impossible. Uh, it is. And, and the thing that we also have to remember is that uh, unfortunately it's not just our costs that are going up, but when somebody's throwing a meeting, it's their food and beverage, their hotel rooms, mm-hmm. their transportation, everything is going up. And so there has to be a commitment to spend more or there are going to be cuts. And uh, that's where the, the frills fall out. Many times the small moments that matter, that's where they go away, unfortunately. Um, but that's just sort of reality, right? You still try to get them in there and it's great that you're able to guide the clients. That's part of what we do because, uh, you know, and some of them don't want to be guided and that's, right. that's fine. We can totally. give them what they want, you know, but when we're able to have a say in what it is they're doing and we're able to guide them, then they'll, they'll often see that we, we are right because not because we love being right, but because we're theatrical, we have that experience. We not only know what the flow should be, we feel what the flow should be. And not, not everybody has that ability. And so the, the, the things that you're offering your client, the suggestions you're offering are valid. They're good suggestions because they're going to help infuse energy or keep energy alive in a room. And that's what makes or breaks an event is the energy. And I think most people don't, we could talk a whole podcast about energy and how to infuse it and how to make sure that it remains in a room or how to live an upper room. Um, because I think people can use that information. Uh, but we won't do that right now because that's a whole different conversation, but it's important, I do want to, important oh, talent to have. Yes. And I just want to give a shout out to D'Angelo on this because he has such an amazing eye for be for being able to do do have these wow moments and they come out right at the right time and it keeps everybody like this he's such a master at that um i actually sometimes go where did that where did that come from where did that idea come from mm-hmm. you know it's innate i do believe you know mm-hmm. and when you've done when you've done a lot of theater and you've uh, been in performance for a long time you have a sense of timing uh, especially if you dance, right? Because, yeah. or you sing, because <laughs> timing is all about, uh, it's, all, it's singing, all in the timing. It's all in the timing <laughs> um, or comedy. So you get us, you know, you develop a sense of timing. And and I would say that's what, what differentiates us as an 
as an agency because we have that sense of flow and timing and what will enthuse people and bring the energy up and what really flattens it out. And um, that's where we try to, you know, help our clients. Anything else on the on the on the prospect of sending out proposals? I think we we handle, I think we covered it. Well, I'm sure that there are questions and, yes. I'm, and I'm sure there are a varied number of ways that people put their proposals together. And so if anybody has any hints or thoughts about things that you do that make the process easier, please share them. And also we'd love to hear if you're at a point where you feel you should be charging for your proposals and, and what it is that um, would lead you to a decision to charge for your proposal. Be really interesting to know what you think. That's the end of this podcast, uh, number 63. Wow. It was a good year. It was a very good year. I'm just going to say that. It it was a good year for Miss Alex. (laughs) I'd like to think it was a good year for the world. (laughs) It wasn't such a good year for John F. Kennedy. No, thanks, Anthony. Oh my God, come. (laughs) Please don't associate Alex with JFK and that tragic loss. Thank you. All right, I won't do that again. (laughs) By the way, he's really not dead. Hey, you know what? I voiced a, um, a video game a long time ago called Who Shot JFK? And I was the body for one character and the voice for another character. Wow. See how good you are? So that's the end of this episode, number 63. Leave your comments. Go to Bellotta.com. Look for the podcast page. Just look for the box and leave it there. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts and you haven't given us five stars, do it right now. If you've given us five stars, go back. Do it again. If you're listening to us on any other device, any other service, please keep listening and share us with your friends. It's been our pleasure. And now we say goodbye. Sayonara. Sayonara. And stay engaging. <laughs>